this session of look at the book on verse 12 of 1 Peter 5, I want to ask the question, how does Peter, at the end of his book, sum up his letter? What phrase does he use? What significance does that have? And what does that teach us about grace and its relationship to obedience and a transformed life? And the way we go about answering that is noticing, never neglecting to see the juxtaposition of different ideas that stand right beside each other. And, and sometimes because they're beside each other, we, we fail to see that they really stand in apparent tension, but not real. So, Father, I pray that you would show us Peter's vision of the totality of this letter. What has he been trying to get across? How does he understand everything he's written and how does it relate to our lives of obedience? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What does this refer to? probably what I have written. I have written briefly to you, declaring this, this, this totality of what I've written, this letter, is the true grace of God. So the answer to the question, what does he use to sum up his letter, is the phrase, grace of God, specifically, true grace of God. And the effect of that summary first says This is all from God. Everything I have written to you stands under God. God is the origin of it. But not just God is the origin of it. God as the one who gives it for our good. Grace would mean for our good. We don't deserve it. He gives it. And so it's from God and it's for us. And one of the reasons that is significant to think of it that way is that God gets the glory, we get the help. And you can see that if you just take this instance back in chapter 4 of how he uses the word grace. Each of us has received a gift, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we are stewards of grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So God's grace is enabling us to serve with our gift, the strength which God supplies, in order that, here's the reason, in order that in everything God may be glorified. So the reason there's grace and that we steward it by depending on what what God has given is so that God would be glorified. To him belong the glory forever and ever. So when he sums up the book as the grace of God, the the accent falls on God as the glorified origin of it all and us as the beneficiaries of it all. We are the, the lowly ones who need help. He's the glorious one that has fullness. That's the sum of this letter. And you can see it, what, half a dozen times, four or five times, 
chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. That seems to indicate that everything that the prophets saw coming about Christianity is put under the banner of grace. So he begins in 110 with the same kind of huge summer use of the word grace. The prophets, they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Chapter 1, verse 13, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was to be brought to you at the revelation. So everything that's coming for us at the second coming, our deliverance from wrath and our entrance into eternal life is called grace. Chapter 3, verse 7, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So husbands and wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. So grace is summed up as eternal life. And we've just seen this one in chapter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, which means everything that we do towards each other in the body of Christ is possible because grace has been given to us. So what's the reason for the word true here? Why not just say, this is the grace of God? What, what gains, what does he gain by adding true grace of God? It seems to indicate that perhaps there was a false grace of God, and he needs to distinguish his preaching of true grace. Is there evidence for that in the New Testament? Well, here's Jude 1.4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master. There were grace preachers, just like there are today. There are grace preachers today who do not get it right. And there were grace preachers then who were turning the grace of God into lawlessness and sensuality and the lordship, the masterhood of Jesus was being denied because grace was being misused so what was it about grace that was being misused? Right here. This is when I said at the beginning that two things standing side by side, grace of God and the demand to stand can be felt in tension. This is grace, relief, right? Rest, joy, acceptance, forgiveness, love. Stand, stand, stand. But the true grace of God is precisely the power to enable us to stand. The, the way to think about stand is not as the opposite of, of running, but as the opposite of falling. That's the way stand is used in the New Testament. Stand. Don't fall down. Resist the devil. Fight the fight of faith. Stand firm in grace. So the the true grace of God, true grace of God is grace that empowers us, not turns us into lawless sinners. And here's, the, here's a beautiful summary of it from Paul in Ephesians 2. By grace, 
you have been saved through faith. So grace saves from sin. It relieves from the burden of guilt. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works. So grace saves from the need to work your way into God's favor. You can't. You can never produce enough good works to be in God's favor so that no one may boast. Now watch. For we are his workmanship. This is another effect of grace. We are his workmanship created. This is what grace does. It creates new people created in Christ for, not as a result of good works. See the difference? Not result of good works, but for good works. That is the true grace of God. So back here, when it says, this epistle is the true grace of God, stand. He means, if you get the grace of God right, you know that it is both pardon for sin, so that pardon to survive in spite of your sin and in face of God's judgment, And grace is power to stand, to do good works. So if anybody ever preaches grace, then they don't insist that true grace produces power to stand and be holy, like this letter requires. You know they are not speaking the true grace of God. Life is... All of life, summed up here in this letter, is life under grace, both enjoyed as pardon and as power.